We've been in this conversation now for, this is our second week, uh, uh, who is Christmas for? We've been looking at the question, who is Christmas for? Uh, and the reason is, uh, when we look at the Christmas stories, there's, there's two of the biographies of Jesus in the Bible ha- actually have Christmas stories, Matthew and Luke. But Luke kind of, as soon as he begins telling about Christmas, he just kind of rushes in and tells the whole story. Whereas Matthew, before he begins his Christmas story, he pauses. He kind of says, I'll get there. Just hold on a second. Let me tell you something that's important. And then he says this, this biography, this, this genealogy of Jesus. He lists this family tree, 42 different ancestors of Jesus. And it, it's like he's kind of pausing and saying, there's something that you need to know to be prepared for the story of Christmas. And that makes it a great thing for us to, to look at during this time uh, of preparation. We're in this season of Advent. It's this time before Christmas, and it's the, the time we remember that Jesus did not only come once, Jesus has promised he will come again. So Advent is this season of preparation. It's this time we remember his first coming, but we look forward to his future coming. And so it's a time for us to kind of pause and say, well, let's not race off to Christmas just yet. And so that's why we're looking at this passage. And, and this genealogy that Matthew begins with, this, this genealogy that Matthew kind of kind of holds off on Christmas to tell us, is interesting for a couple of things. First of all, it's interesting because of the people that he's omitted. That in, in keeping with kind of the norms of his time, Matthew chose who to include. So he might say son, but he really means grandson or great-grandson. So Matthew skipped some people, and we know that because the people he skipped have sometimes been really important. He skipped some kings, some of the kings of Israel. Matthew, yeah, you know, they don't fit into my story here. I don't want to bother with them. But it's also interesting, Matthew has included some people, some people we might not expect. Uh, Matthew includes women in this bio, uh, this genealogy, which wasn't always the case. Oftentimes in the Bible, genealogies don't include women, but Matthew does. But again, it's interesting who Matthew includes because we can see who he's omitted. He's omitted some of the some of the great women of Israel's history. He completely passes over Abraham's wife uh, Sarah. He passes over um, Isaac's wife Rebekah. He passes over both wives and both concubines of Israel, and we might understand why he might kind of say, well, let's not get into that. But um, but then he goes right ahead and tells us about Tamar. And we saw last week, Tamar is kind of one of those stories, the Bible records it, but no one kind of, uh, you know, embroiders it on a, on a wall hanging or something. It's one of those stories we know, but it's, you know, we don't want to really bring it out. And what we saw last week is that Christmas is for people with stories like that, people with skeletons in their closet, people who've got a past, people who had something um, uh, maybe happened to them, maybe something they did, maybe something that somebody did to them. But people with a story, people with baggage, people with some skeletons in their closet, that's what we saw last week. And this week, what we're going to see is that Christmas is for people who are afraid, or maybe maybe afraid is too strong. People who've got concerns, people who look at the situation, they look at where their life is headed, they look at the, the way things are going, and they don't like what they see lying ahead. They they say if I run this if I run this movie forward a few frames, I'm not happy with what I see. So we're going to look today at the story of Rahab um, because it it speaks to that situation. It tells us about how Christmas is for people in that situation. I mentioned earlier today I talked about Facebook. Uh, I, I follow uh, Sarah on Facebook and. Um, there's other people I keep in touch with on Facebook. I don't know how many of you do social media of one kind or another. Any any social media people? Okay, it looks like about half of you do some kind of social media. How many of you are Facebook people? 
Okay, most of you. So, um, so hands back here too. So, um, so, uh, I'm, I'm a Facebook person reluctantly. I, I use Facebook, but it's not my favorite. I like Twitter. I like Twitter because it's shallow and I'm shallow and there's an infinite amount of shallow on Twitter. So let me show you one of the things I follow on Twitter. There's an account on Twitter called FlareAware. And every hour they take a picture from NASA of the sun, what the sun is doing right now. And they show you what the sun is doing. So this is what it looked like earlier this morning. Um, not too much to worry about there. But um, but sometimes there are things to worry about. And the reason I do really, uh, there's two reasons. The, the obvious reason is I live in Alaska. And if something is going on with the sun, then I know in a couple of days we might have some good aurora here. So it would be kind of, I can get a heads up and say, okay, there's a CME, a coronal mass ejection going on in the sun. And in two or three days, we might have some, some good uh, aurora here. So that's one of the reasons. But the other reason I think is because it's a different category of problem. You know, there's so many problems in the world we can obsess about. And this is a problem you really can't do anything about. If the sun decides to, to burp up a great big blob of charged particles, it could do incredible damage. I mean, it really could. 150 years ago, there was a CME, a coronal mass ejection, that lit up telegraph wires. They just barely invented the telegraph. People were burnt. You know, telegraph operators, they were burnt by the electricity coming into the the, the telegraph things, and that was back in a, in a very simple day and a very hard equipment. Today, with our electronics, with our computers, our cell phones, it would all be wiped out. The military would, has got some, some special equipment that's been hardened, but most of us don't. Most of us don't have that high-capacity stuff. So the things that we take for granted, the, um, the phone network, our, our computers, all that kind of stuff would be wiped out. So it's something we can worry about. And so when you look at the sun, you think, well, all right, today it's not doing anything bad. And I think I like that. I like that that's something to worry about that is kind of way beyond anything I can do about it. It's way beyond my capacity. I can't harden the electrical system. I can't harden the way the water and sewer systems work. I can't change the way our police uh, dispatch radios work, right? All the things I'm counting on to keep working, I can't do anything about that. And so it kind of puts all my other problems into perspective. And so when I watch the rest of the news on Twitter or, or on the websites or whatever, and I see, you know, Ebola and ISIS and, and all the things we worry about, when I see Ferguson or I see, uh, you know, uh, police violence in Staten Island or whatever, and, and I say, what's going on? Is that something I should worry about? When I see civil war in Syria or in the Ukraine, and I go, man, this world is falling apart. I just say, what's going on? There's a lot of things we can be worried about. We could be worried. I got a flu shot for the first time. People have been telling me, you're a pastor. You should get a flu shot. They've been telling me that for seven or eight years. But this year I did. Why? Because of Ebola. I was worried about Ebola. They said, you don't want to be in a, in a ward full of flu patients because some of them might be Ebola patients. And it's like, okay. So, so we worry about these things. We're told about all these things we should worry about. And then if, if uh, if maybe we actually have got some real things to worry about, maybe things that are closer to home, things in our own neighborhood, maybe we're worried about the situation at work. Maybe, you know, this is the time of year where they're, they're looking at the numbers and they're saying, you know, we really can't keep you on right now. We, we thought we'd have enough money to get through the end of the year, but maybe we can't. Uh, maybe we're looking at our grades. It's It's kind of that time of year. We're kind of coming to the end of the semester and we're thinking, I'm not so sure that I like the way that this movie is playing out. I, I've got some concerns about the next few frames of this video 
because I don't like what's going on there. Maybe the things we're worried about are closer to home. Maybe we're worried about our health. Maybe we've been to the doctor and he said that's just part of aging. You know, that's the reality. You're gonna, you're gonna lose your vision. You're gonna lose your hearing. You're gonna have heart problems. You're gonna have cancer. Cells in your body are just gonna go haywire. It just happens. And we don't like hearing that. We don't like the way that we project forward. We say, I'm not happy with the things that I see ahead of us. And so if we've been in that situation, if we've looked at things and we've said, I don't like the things that I see. There's things that, that concern me. Maybe they, maybe I'm, maybe I'm just paralyzed with fear. Maybe it's just a nagging, I don't like that. I'm not, I'm not happy with the way I see that playing out. Um, anywhere in between. If we're, if we're concerned about something all the way up to we're terrified of something. The passage today is for us. It's for people who don't like what they see. They don't like what they see on the horizon. And maybe it's terrified them. Maybe it's just made them concerned. So if you've got the scriptures, if you could open up your scriptures, we're going to look at a, a passage of scripture from um, the second chapter of, uh, of Joshua. And it's the story, it's the story of Rahab. Uh, Rahab the prostitute is mentioned three times in the New Testament. And uh, once you just heard in Matthew's gospel. But she's also mentioned in two of the other scriptures. And uh, positively, uh, Rahab is never, is never criticized or condemned anywhere in the scriptures. She's either mentioned neutrally or positively throughout the scriptures. So it's interesting to see this story. Um, we read that Joshua has, um, has sent some spies in to, to scope out the land. He's, he's about ready to invade Canaan. Uh, God has given him this land and he's ready to, to come in and find a, a place for the Israelites. They've been wandering in the desert for 40 years. They're tired of that. They're going to come into the land. But Joshua's a, a, a clever guy. He was a spy back in the day. He's succeeded Moses now as the leader of the people. And so he says, I'm going to send in some spies to figure out kind of the lay of the land. So he says, go scope out the whole area. And particularly, I'm interested in what's going on with Jericho. Jericho was a big city. In those days, most places were towns or villages. They were not fortified, but Jericho actually had a wall. Famously, Jericho had walls. And later on in this story, if you read the rest of Joshua, You'll find what happened to the walls. I'll give you a hint. They didn't stay up. Um, but but he says, what's going on in, in Jericho? I want to know what's going on in Jericho. So, yeah, there's songs like that, right? So um, so he says, go in and find out what's going on in Jericho. So they do. And it says they went and they entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. Why did they go there? Uh, who knows? Maybe they figured that was a place to kind of hear hear all the, the, the gossip that was going on in town. You know, uh, people get chatty, people start talking where they don't belong, and they figured that would be a good place to find out how people were reacting to what was going on. Um, maybe things went bad. They were kind of wandering around the town trying to get a feel for things, and then somehow uh, somebody said, hey, you guys are spies from Israel, and they said, we need to head for the seediest part of town because if we go to the upscale part of town, no one's going to take care of us. If we go to the seedy part of town, maybe we can blend in or something. So for whatever reason, they go to the house of Rahab and they stay there. And uh, they are being pursued. The king of Jericho was told some Israelites have come. So the, Israel, so the king sent a message to Rahab, send out them or bring out the men who came to you. And she says, she says, I can't. They've been here, sure enough, but they've already gone. Uh, if you send out uh, some armies, you know, you can go maybe catch them. Uh, she, she lies. She hides the spies up on her roof, and then she lies to the king. She says, she says, they're not here anymore. And, and the reason, 
is uh, she, she tells us, she goes up on the roof and explains to the spies why she did that. She's already hidden them. She's already lied to the king. She's committed at this point. But she explains her reasoning to the spies. She says, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We've heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came up out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. She says, nothing has happened to us yet. You know, as far as you could tell, walking around the city, everything is the same as it's ever been. But I don't like the look of the situation. When I look around, when I take in all the things I've heard, when I've heard the news, when I've kind of put it all together, when I've pieced this whole story together, I don't like the way things are shaping up. So she says, I've come up with a plan. I want to switch sides. She says, I've been on this side, and now I want to switch to this side. She says, I want to, I want to upgrade. I want to trade up. I want to, to cut loose Jericho and get on board with the winning team over here. And that sounds kind of harsh. I mean, it sounds kind of, kind of, uh, uh, rude or, or, or disloyal that she would do that. You know, uh, doesn't she have any patriotic feelings? Doesn't she have any sense of loyalty to Jericho? And and the the story doesn't tell us. It doesn't tell us anything about whether this was an easy decision for her or a hard decision. Maybe it's something. Um, I mean, the Israelites have been doing this now for for months. So maybe it's something that she's only slowly come to grips with. And she says, you know, I don't see any alternative. Maybe she's she's decided over a course of months that that with the the leadership that her country has, with the 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 gods that it has that there's just no hope and she needs to transfer her allegiance. Or maybe it's a very quick decision. She just says, I don't owe these people anything. One of the things we see in the in the New Testament is how people who are on the lower rungs of society had less difficulty switching their allegiance to Jesus because they didn't have they they, they didn't have a strong claim on anything else to lean on. There was nothing else they couldn't lean on their success or on their position in society. They didn't have any authority. And so they found it very easy to switch to a different, to a different authority, to, to, to lean their lives against Jesus. Whereas people who had their religious position or their, their authority in society, they found it more difficult. So maybe it was an easy decision, but for whatever reason, whether it was hard or easy, Rahab says, you know, I've been leaning on these things and I've looked at them now and I've decided I should quit leaning on these. And I want to lean on your God because your God is different from our gods. We've got gods too. We've got temples full of gods. Um, and we, we offer the sacrifices. We do all the things you're supposed to do with gods. But they're not winning. Our gods aren't winning. Your God is active. Our gods very rarely act. And usually it's bad news. Our, our whole goal of, of uh, our whole religious process is about keeping the gods off our back. Trying to keep them from being angry. And so when somebody gets sick or something, we say the gods did it. But that's all we ever see these gods doing. You have a God who's active in the world. You have a God who's doing things. And worse than that, you have a God who's winning. You have a God who's winning. I want to be on your team. And so she says, when you come in, when your God gives you victory, take care of the people who are important to me. She says, she says, 
Now please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I've shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, that you will save us from death. She says, take care of these people because they're important to me. So what is the lesson we get from Rahab? Now remember, Rahab goes on to be to be mentioned in, in Scripture. Uh, God blesses her. She is... She becomes one of the ancestors of King David and then a whole line of kings. Rahab, who is an outsider, a Canaanite, um, who's a prostitute, she's brought into the family of the people of God and ultimately becomes an ancestor of kings. So what are we to learn from this? That God likes turncoats? Well, I think under the right circumstances, yes. God, God is inviting us to say, what are we leaning our lives against? What is it that we're counting on? To hold things together. What is it that we're hoping will stay the same or get better that we shouldn't be? Are we counting on our work? Are we counting on our finances? Are we counting on the economy? You know, I saw in the news today, it was bad news this summer when the price of oil was $112 a barrel. And now it's bad news this fall when the, when the price of oil is $70 a barrel. It's like you can't win for losing. But, you know, the new governor is having to deal with that problem. Alaska is going to have a lot less money this year because we've been leaning our lives against the price of oil. What else do we lean our lives against? What is it we're counting on to hold things together for us? Because what the story of Rahab teaches us is that if we're leaning our lives against anything but Jesus, we're in for trouble. It's not going to last. It can't do what only Jesus can do. So if we have been leaning our lives against anything, anything other than Jesus, the lesson of Rahab is that we do. And yet, and yet it may be hard. I think, I think some of us say, yeah, that's, that's a hard thing to do. I, I, I've been leaning against, but I can't. I can't just kind of quit. I can't change my mind. Um, because I've heard things about God. You know, uh, you know, I know a lot of us in here are Christians or, or nominally Christians, we're Christians on a good day and then on a bad day, you know, maybe not so much. But some people, you know, they, they struggle with God because they've heard bad things about God. In this story, right, Jericho, the fall of Jericho, burning the city. And we say, what kind of God is that? Now remember, Rahab changed her allegiance when all she'd ever heard about God was that he rained down destruction. She said, I'm not in a position to be choosy. It's not like the Canaanite gods were any better. She said, I like your God simply because he wins, not because he's a nice God. But we know the whole story in a way that Rahab didn't. We know of a God who rains down destruction, a God who cannot abide by sin. But we also know a God who came down and took the destruction upon himself. So if you are put off by the God that Rahab said, well, at least he wins. Consider the whole story. The whole story of the God who does rain down destruction, who cannot abide sin, but who came down to take it on himself. Because that is the God that we follow. One last thought. I was thinking to myself, what would we do if if Rahab came to church today? If Rahab showed up, uh, uh, you know, the notorious sinner in the town like we read about in the New Testament... Uh, that everybody knows what she does. You know, I wonder how we as a church would respond to someone like Rahab. Would we say, you need to get your act together? Or would we say, 
you need to get your loyalty together. Because what the spies did is they said, I don't worry about that stuff. That's between her and God. We'll let her sort that out. The point is she's made the right decision. She's changed her allegiance from the things she was leaning on to the God who can save. And I hope that we can be the kind of church where people, what matters is not what people do, but what they're trying to do, what what it is that they understand God to be about, that people who have changed their allegiance, and maybe they're successful, maybe they haven't, that's between them and God. But I hope we can be as wise as the spies and invite the Rahabs into our town. Christmas is for people who are anxious, people who are concerned, people who look at the world and they say, you know, whether it's on TV or whether it's across the dinner table, I have concerns. I look at the way things are going and I don't like the way they're going because I've been counting on that. I've been counting on that person. I've been counting on that situation. Christmas is a reminder if we change our allegiance, if we lean into God, if we lean into Jesus, that God will bless that. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give thanks for the story of Rahab, for the way that you have uh, uh, picked out her story. And Matthew tells us that you did not simply save her family, but you incorporated her into a new family. You gave her descendants, including King David and the great kings of Israel. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to find the places where we've been leaning on the wrong thing and to begin leaning on you. We pray that you would bless us as we make these decisions. Through Christ our Lord. Amen.